Hey, this is Adam. Thanks for checking out Wabi Sabi Podcast. This is episode number 20, and I'm excited to share with you, uh, especially because of my guest, Sean Galanos, who is a certified love coach. He's also a podcast host himself. His podcast is called The Love Drive, which you can stream just about anywhere. And you should also check him out on Instagram at The Love Drive. He has some really, really insightful uh, Instagram TV videos, as well as some really useful Q&A that he does every week. And yeah, in fact, the very reason why we're going to be talking today is because I stumbled onto one of his Instagram stories that was super honest and clean and inspiring and I just felt like, yeah, I want to talk to this person, absolutely. So really excited to have him on the show, especially this being the middle of the holiday season. I know sometimes for a lot of people, including myself, the holidays are a challenging time, especially with family. Some of us have strained family relationships some of us have strained relationships across the spectrum. Regardless of what's going on, I feel for you. And I'm right in there with you. So, without further ado, here's Sean Galanos. Yeah, and I, I'm also happy to, because I will be doing some, I will be doing my own version of a lead-in, but I would love to, I give the option to every guest, it's like if you'd like to introduce yourself. Uh, in any capacity, you know, please feel free. My name is Sean Galanos. I am a love coach and host of the Love Drive podcast. My mission is to help people develop the emotional wellness and intimacy required to have loving and connected relationships. Thank you. Yeah. Which is really amazing because my introduction to you is purely through the crucible of Instagram and I came across uh, an Instagram story, or I guess it's not so much a story. It was more like a snippet of an IGTV, mm. which I think is interesting how Instagram does that in general. But um, perhaps it was through it was through a story that our mutual friend Lila Donala, who also has a phenomenal podcast, Horizontal with Lila, um, had shared something that you had. Uh, you had made in terms of a video and it really struck me not because of my ability to categorize you or like, Oh, this guy's a love coach. I want to see what he's up to. What is he saying? Does something resonate? It was just, a, it's a, it was a super, again, uh, I feel like I'm almost sort of cliche with this term, but it was a really organic kind of an experience in terms of seeing someone say some real shit that that really struck me and that ability to reach out to to the person or the brand or or what have you and to engage in a back and forth is really magical to me here i am here we are this was uh if i'm not mistaken the uh, igtv video on crushes attraction and unrequited love Yes, that was the one that really, 
It was the one that I saw. I think that was the one that Lila had shared. And then I looked into, I started scrubbing for other videos that you had posted. And the one about, gosh, it wasn't the crush video that I reached out. I, it, I had shared that. Did I also share another video? I can't quite recall this moment because... I have um, because we're on the air, dude, because we're on the air and because I have dad brain at the moment. And, you know, it's like trying to remember the 47 things, uh, you know, in any particular moment. Oh, kindness is the cutoff. Thank you so much. Kindness is the cutoff. I just really I just just went to to our Instagram message. (laughs) Okay, perfect. (laughs) Yes. So thank you also for that video, because that will that spoke to me in so many different uh you know canals and crevices and canyons uh, and ups and downs in my in my life personally and and kindness is uh fuck it's like a lost it's becoming a lost art a lost um not even an art. Art is just almost like a cliche way of saying that. It's becoming something that is diminishing very quickly. Uh, not just in the public sphere, but um, even just people like in the grocery store or in the cafe. Mm. Um, I'm, I feel like I'm noticing, and it, maybe my noticing is just a, cer- a certain type of a hypersensitivity or a hyper-awareness of it, but uh, it's something that worries me. Uh, day in and day out my perceived lack the lack of that everywhere that video the inspiration for that video actually came from a comment that somebody left on one of my instagram stories wow i was excited about a new pair of ice skates Uh over here in canada we have this thing called hockey You have this thing called ice. We have this thing called, and then we also have this thing called ice, and we have free free skating rinks all around the city. Yeah, Um, it just every municipality in Canada pretty much has like a free skating rink because that's what we do to to make the winter bearable. Yeah. Anyways, I was excited about a new pair of skates, and I had a little story about my. They're actually Reeboks, so they're Reeboks, and they have the pump feature. Okay. Right. It's like, that's novel. Like I'm going to pump my skates up. And so the story was just like, check out my new pumps. Don't forget to pump up your skates is, is basically the whole story. Got it. Real basic. Not, nothing to do with love. Just, you know, a, a banal moment in my day. And a guy replied, oh, get some Bauer Supremes. Those Reeboks are for benders. Benders. I'm not even actually really sure what that is, but I know it's, it's some sort of insult. I, I'm I'm 37 years old. I've never called anybody a bender. I, I don't know really what it means, but I know that it wasn't meant nicely. It was basically like the thing that you have is stupid. Get this other thing instead. And I was totally taken aback by that comment. You know, someone took time out of their day to call me a bender, first of all. But they they thought that that was an appropriate way to connect with me. And this is somebody I don't know. This is just somebody who follows me on Instagram. So this person follows you on so on Instagram and decided to comment on a video that you had made on a, on a 15 second story about my skates. On a 15 second story. And we and neither of us still know what a bender actually is. We know it's a 
think you know it's, it's a derogatory term? I think it's a derogatory term for maybe a homosexual. Maybe. I'm not okay. sure. And I don't know. I sort of engaged with him in a very light way. And he said something like, oh, you know, I'm just kidding. And whatever. That comment, it's, it's not that important. But what's important is that people find this to be an appropriate way to connect with strangers, right? It's to make sort of jokes at their expense, right? I mean, the joke was that, that I bought stupid skates. Was this a public comment or was this was like a this was a per, like it was a this is a dm correct it's a like dm a, yeah it was okay. a it was a That's private a private message reply okay. to my story Got and, it. and all of that is is sort of was the catalyst for gosh do i really want people that even though they're making jokes they're unkind and do i want those people in my life and the answer is no yeah i, I don't and and the whole impetus for kindness is the cutoff is that's the cutoff for whether I'm going to allow you or even consider to allow you in my life. Yeah. Even if it was a joke, because my job is not to educate everybody on what is and is not kind, but it's to align myself with people that are kind because I'm a kind person. And that also doesn't mean I can't make jokes, but I choose who I make those jokes to and what they're about. And a long time ago, I realized that making jokes at the expense of other people is actually mean. <laughs> it's not we nice. Need, we need a treaties on, on kindness. I wonder if we should just start, you know, penning, penning something because I'm in full agreement with what you're saying. And this is part of the reason why, like I personally, and not to trumpet this fact, but I personally have like completely defected from like the Facebook universe. And, I just felt like I can't be around this like incessant behavior, whether it touches on sexuality, gender, politics, what have you, um, race. I just didn't want to be, I don't, it's not just that I don't want to be part of it. I don't want to be around it period, which I feel like in some senses is this kind of, um, Kind of like a snake. It's not a snake, excuse me, a snail, sort of maybe kind of retre- re- retreating back into a shell in a way. But I'm also trying to find the ways in which I can uh, confront that and to do that uh, in, in a respectful way. Just like I'm intentional about who I choose to let into my life, I'm also very right. intentional about the kind of content that I expose myself to. And for me, I'll just... I'll just be straight up with you. Facebook and Instagram is community building and marketing. I mean, that's, yeah, that's the goal. My message is to help people become emotionally well and intimate with themselves. Right. And, and Instagram and Facebook as a platform to share that message because that mission is important to me. Yeah. That also means that I have upwards of, you know, 6,000 followers on Instagram, but I only follow a hundred accounts. Yeah. Because, I'm really, really careful about who I let into my purview because I'm sensitive and I, and I can't handle too much negativity. That's why I don't spend any time on Reddit. I can't. It's, I posted a blog <laughs> once on Reddit and someone called my writing frilly. And, and like that was what all the comments were about. Like it just kind of derailed the whole thing. It wasn't about the content at all. It was just that it was frilly. 
so I'm intentional about this stuff. And, you know, I'm building a community of, of, you know, I call my followers lovebirds. These are people that value love, care, respect, attention, uh, intimacy in all of its forms, compassion, empathy. And so the community that I'm building is actually very compassionate and very sweet. And every now and then there's somebody that, that wants what we have, but isn't as tactful or doesn't have the means to communicate in a way that's more loving. And so, you know, I embrace this guy and his comment. I'm not going to spend too much energy on him, but I also know that he's probably coming from the right place if he's following me in the first place. Right. And with enough exposure, perhaps slowly over time, those behaviors will become more loving. That's the, that's the hope at least. Right. I also, you know, just in your description of what transpired, I felt into it in my own way. And I'm like, oh, that guy emotionally somewhere at around, you know, I suppose eight or nine years old, he was stunted or something happened. It just sounded like the kind of uh, sort of lack of empathy that comes from a youngish child. Yeah. Uh, not that I'm any expert on, <laughs> on child, child psychology on child and, and development. <laughs> But, um, you know, but I, it's a work in progress. And, um, I, yeah, I almost feel like I, I begin to frame people uh, through that lens of, oh, wow, that sounded like something a maybe five or six-year-old would say or a 10 or 12-year-old would say. And that's where I kind of want to come with, you know, sort of approach with empathy from that perspective. I have a a client who, for whatever reason, and we haven't figured this out yet, why people are really mean to her. Maybe she's attracting that kind of energy. We're, we're not sure. We're still kind of new in our in our relationship, but people say really mean things to her, and she takes them very personally. And what we've come up with as a strategy is instead of trying to change people to just have a different response. And the response we came up with is for, is for her to say, ouch, that hurts. And to turn around and walk away. Instead of taking it personally and then trying to change this person's viewpoint or, or to understand why they said that, just to say, ouch, that hurts, which is just an expression of how that comment landed. And that's kind of how I want to be. I want to be able to express how you've made me feel with no expectations that I'm going to make you see the error of your ways or get you to change or apologize, but just say, ouch, that hurts. And that's also, model it that way. It's also a nice boundary, really, you know, a boundary with the use of, of uh, polite language. Yeah, it's a boundary without using, without being very um, descriptive. Yeah. About what you know, usually a boundary will will involve a description of the behavior, how it affects you, and a request for moving forward. Mm -hmm. That's sort of how boundaries get broken down, and sort of like um, Marshall Rosenberg and, and nonviolent communication. When you say this, it makes me feel this. 
it affects my this. And in the future, I'd like to request that you, whatever the thing is, mm-hmm. saying, ouch, that hurts is a way of doing that. But you're also saying like, I'm not actually really going to invest in this relationship. Yeah. I don't see the need. I don't feel the need to set up an official NVC type boundary with you because I want us to continue connecting. So yeah, there's a bit of a nuance there, but, but it's essentially just letting people know how we feel, which is Mm -hmm. not something that we have a ton of experience doing, especially when we're talking about in the workplace or at the grocery store, you know, we usually just kind of suck it up and, and move on with the day. And I think it's important to let people know. Yeah. Um, I could say that as a, as a parent to a young kid, um, even just the experience of being in the public sphere with my daughter when she was a little bit younger, um, that there were not an excessive amount of, of, uh, occurrences but there were a number of occurrences you know when she was an infant or you know a young toddler where in the market or something or in somewhere somewhere uh, mundane and everyday um, people usually people from a you know a slightly older generation maybe sort of a grandparent kind of age would uh, make a passing comment or make a passing judgment like out like like the kind of thing where like are you thinking out loud are Mm -hmm. you actually saying this right now and like what gives you where do you get the permission to say such comments are you aware what you're saying may affect someone else uh or something you know something whether it's um whether it's a comment directly aimed toward my daughter but it's meant for me to hear or um or it's something that's aimed and directed at me and it could be something uh, as fleeting as like you're doing it wrong or you should be doing that or she should be this um and that's just those types of comments there are also other kinds of comments where adults feel like they're they have um been granted a lot of power over children especially in the public domain where they can touch or prod or pinch or uh, pat on the head or something you know young young kids and um, I suppose the path of parenting today in a way is to try and reverse that at least Mm. for me but that made me think of that as you were as you were sharing this, I, I mean, this goes without saying that uh, I think because of social media or even uh, platforms like Reddit in particular or Twitter, everything feels like we're in the Coliseum and we're sort of lobbing tomatoes and f- rotten vegetables at strangers who we think are performing for us. Or we, you know, it, it, there's such a weird, that's really the only metaphor I can. I can, you know, run in parallel to what I think is going on. Two things. Yes. Well, three things. Body autonomy, very important when it comes to children nowadays, right? Yeah. I'm not imposing hugs on kids. And yeah, I've got three nephews and I go, do you want a hug? Nah. Okay, cool. High five. Yeah. Okay, cool. High five. Yeah. Right. So, and I'm, I'm happy with that. I don't need, I don't 
get validation from getting a hug from my nephew. It's just yeah. not a better person because I, I, because they want to hug me, you know? And I don't take it personally. <laughs> They're kids. I, I want them to do what they want to do. Number one. Number two, people need to mind their own business. And they just really need to mind their own business. Like, I remember I went to a, they used to club a lot and this DJ had a particular mixer and I was like, oh yeah, if you use this button, it does something. And he looked at me and he goes, if you think you know, you have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) And I was on a lot of ecstasy at the time, which was like 12 years ago. I don't, I've been sober for 11 years now, but I was like, what? is going on what did he just say but yeah yeah, but if you think you know better you have no idea yeah so mind your own business right just just take care of your shit and number three which is kind of connected to that and it's also connected to your coliseum analogy as someone who has a presence on social media people often like to give me unsolicited advice about how they think I should run my business or how I should run my platform or how I should do my messaging. And first of all, unsolicited advice is a form of verbal abuse. And I use the word abuse in the lightest way possible because I I don't want to say that it's the same as actually getting abused. But when you tell me what you think I should do unsolicited, it's, it's, it's unwanted and it's, it's, it's disrespectful to me because I never asked you for your opinion. Mm-hmm. So the way I deal with this is that if you're not in the ring, then I'm not going to pay attention to you. Define ring. If you're not doing what I'm doing, if you're mm. not engaging with a community at the level that I am, if you don't have 70 episodes of a podcast if you don't have a full-time business coaching people, if you're not in the ring, if you're not in my ring, in my sphere, do not give me advice. And if you do, I'm not going to pay attention to it. Because how could you possibly know what I'm going through? Got it. So it's so hard not to take things personally. I I get Mm -hmm. that because I still do, even though I have all of these strategies not to. It's hard when someone says, hey, your shit sucks or you're stupid. You know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing because that's not what they're saying. They're saying it'd be really helpful if you. Yeah. And then, you know, they kind of couch it and candy coat it. And there's a lot of people out there. We, and if we listen to all of it, we, we wouldn't get anything done. And our self-esteem would be completely destroyed. Yeah. Exactly. You know, the interesting part about what what uh, what struck me really about the kindness is key video was that it it uh, for me just brought to the forefront, you know, what I had experienced in the last couple of years with my own, um, you know, inner family drama and uh, fully estranging myself from a toxic parent, which is. Um, it's extremely taboo mm. um, as, as far as I'm understanding from, from other people, especially within the, uh, within the culture and my hair, like being growing up Jewish um, and, uh, you know, being part of that, being part of that culture in whatever my relationship is to it. 
as a as a I don't know as a belief system. Um, but the culturally, it's like um, I got a lot of unsolicited <laughs> advice. Like, dude, it's your mom. Mm-hmm. She's the mom. You only have one mom. You can't cut her off. Just, just surrender. Just give in. You know, she's the mom. She's done a lot. You know, all kinds of stuff like that. So it's like feeling berated from friends, family, acquaintances, strangers. You know, I was like seeking counsel from pretty much everyone. You know, tarot readers and uh, strangers in coffee shops and um, pretty much everyone. You know, like the spectrum of opinions, whether I was soliciting or or finding myself open to hearing. And not open to hearing, you know, certain opinions from different people. But, um, yeah, it's it's to this day, you know, I'm coming up on year three of full estrangement, and I am still holding holding this position of, you know, I really. I can't demand kindness. I can't change you or the person that I perceive you to be. But um, I'm still open to to the what can be if if someone decides to change, uh, not change their behavior, but just just have a have a some enlightenment moment or a dose of self awareness. You know, however that comes. Um, but I'm not holding my breath for that. Mm. But but um, <clears throat> just to get really transparent and vulnerable for a moment, because that's something that I touch on uh, throughout a couple episodes with different people, if I find uh, you know comfort in that. But that's why the kindness is key. It was just really, you know, that's what really got me, you know, thinking about that. And the the thing with unkindness is that the more you experience it, the more you become desensitized to it. Sure. And I don't really want to live in a world where I become desensitized to people being mean to me. Yeah. I want to surround myself with people that actively love me, support me, celebrate me on a regular basis that with these people in my life, I can achieve more. I can have a larger positive impact on the world, right? I mean, I, I really do believe that if you're in a position to, and not everybody is, our goal in life is to serve others, right? So through this, yeah. through this podcast, through your work, my work, other people's work, we serve others so that we can have a better life for everybody. And being surrounded with kindness and support and love makes that more possible and more likely and the impact is larger. When we're dealing with people that are acting in toxic ways or are exhibiting behaviors that are deleterious to our health and our growth, it makes serving others harder because we have to spend more time and more resources on patching up the damage that's being done to ourselves and our souls. So I'm with you. I'm with you. I I also can't pretend to understand what it must feel like to have to take that kind of measure 
to make sure that that person is no longer in your life. Yeah. And hope springs eternal. You know, we can always hope that people will change. And, and oftentimes they do. They, they, people can make behavior modifications, right? Adjustments. And I talk about this with my therapist a lot. You know, some people in my life are unwilling to make adjustments. Okay, interesting. Worth noting. File that away for later. And then there are some people that do adjust, right? If, if I have a reaction to a behavior and I, and I say, ouch, that hurt. Um, and let's have a conversation around about that. And they go, okay, I'm not going to do that again because I know that it hurts you. Those are the kinds of people that I value because they're able to adjust to me just as I'm able to adjust to them so that we can stay in relationship. We can continue to bring more love and kindness to each other's lives. I mean, that's the Holy grail, right? Being kind to each other and surrounding ourselves with those kinds of people. That's what I want in my life. That's what I want more of. And there's, I'm never going to be, my thirst will never be quenched for kind people in my life. Sure. Oh, that's beautifully said. How do you, um, through the work that you're doing, uh, how much of what you're doing is uh, um, in person and, or not versus, but in person next to um, uh, remote work, you know, like cl- uh, clients um, in, in, in far different places? My work is split between creating content, right, that inspires and educates. Also, that's all, that, that act as a uh, marketing conduit, right, mm-hmm. for, for my other services. Uh, I work with folks one-on-one on the phone. So actually, all of my work is remote. Uh, and then I've started offering group programs, so group coaching programs, which is really, f- it's pretty neat. It's a really fun format that I kind of stumbled upon. I'm sure people are doing this. I just haven't really done any research on it. But the idea is that I get four to six people together and we meet either four or six times. However many people are in the group is how many times we meet every week for an hour, hour and a half. And we work on a theme. So the, the program that I'm running right now is on emotional availability, right? How to be emotionally available how to be available and present to the emotions that you're feeling and available and present to the emotions that the other is feeling, whoever the other happens to be. And so what we're doing in this program is we'll, we'll, we'll do a check-in on what came up for you around emotional availability, right? Where did you find yourself closing, closing down, shutting down, disconnecting? Where did you find yourself expanding, connecting? And then everyone will get their turn where I will coach them using like a video like zoom or zoom meeting i'll coach one person at a time while everybody else witnesses and i coach that person on their issue or their challenge around emotional availability while everybody else witnesses so it allows people to witness someone being emotionally available because that's what happens in our coaching session right we we can't coach if there's no emotion there so while we're exploring emotional availability, other people are exploring what it feels like to witness someone having an emotional reaction or conversation. And then the, the person being coached also gets to experience what does it feel like to be witnessed in that experience? 
right? What does it feel like to open up to one person, me, but also to be witnessed by five other people? Mm-hmm. So it's very, the work is actually kind of meta. We're doing emotional availability work and we're working those concepts in the group. Um, so one-on-one work, the group work, and then whatever happens on, uh, on social media. Every Friday I do free love advice Friday. And then I also do the podcast. Uh, so I guess everything I do is from my desk in Montreal, but I don't ever see another person face to face. I really didn't know that all the work you do is, is remote. It's, I'm sitting here at my desk right now with my microphone in front of my computer. And, um, and this is just the kind of life that I built. I got my dog that's sitting across the way. We go out three, four times a day. I see my therapist every week. I spend time with my lover. I work out. I do things that I need to do to make, to take care of myself. Right. What are all, how many, and how many, and how many on average, like how many, like how many one-on-one clients do you have on average, like per week? 10, 10 to 15, 15 is sort of the max that I can do in a week. So you're working with about 50 people a month. Uh, yeah, but they're not, some of those are, most of those are repeats. Oh, repeats. So they're like weekly or every other week. Got it. So maybe I'm working with 20 people. 20 people a month. Wow. Yeah. And then, but the groups are also, those are, those are aside from that. The groups are six, you know, four to six people per group. And I'm going to be in January, I'm going to start running probably three of those concurrently. And is every, every participant from the group, uh, were they already, um, like a one getting coached by you? Just one, one in this, this, this group that I'm running right now is a pioneer group. So there's six okay. people and one of them was a, a client. The other are just um, people that follow me on Instagram and have connected with and resonate with my work in some way. How long have you been a love coach? Mm, I've been working in this domain for probably about four or five years. The love drive, which is the name of my podcast started when I used to live in San Francisco and I drove a taxi, which is right around when Lyft and Uber was starting to become sort of a real deal. Mm-hmm. I was driving a taxi at the time and it was fun until it wasn't. And my friend said, oh, you should uh, interview your fares about sex, love and dating. And I'd always had a passion for it. I'd, I'd done work as a sex educator. I've done work as a erotic masseur. I've done work as... Um, a rape crisis counselor. And so I, I always had some interest, quite a bit of it in the, ter- in the, the sphere of sexuality and intimacy and love. And so my friend said, you should interview your, your passengers. And so I put up some GoPros and some microphones and started interviewing people and I would hand them questions. And they were at the time, you know, it wasn't as sophisticated as it is now. They were pretty, pretty low hanging fruit questions. Like, you know, what do you think of prostitution? What do you think of having sex on your period? What's up with shaved testicles? Like, you know, kind of like clickbaity kind of stuff. And that's uh-huh. where, that's where I was at the time. It's totally fine. I'm, I own it. And that was where the love drive began because I was driving people and talking about love. So <laughs> the name stuck, the format has changed and evolved over the, over the years of blog writing, video making, you know, the original love drive and now the podcast, which is on it in its second year, um, and, and is really the format that I prefer: long format with 
um, either thought leaders or experts or just regular people, right? I, I do this format um, in my podcast called Free Love Advice. I give free love advice on Instagram every Friday. Yeah. 15 second to 30 second answers. But every now and then I'll record, I'll, I'll do a, a 30 minute recording podcast with somebody that has an issue and I don't know what they're going to talk to me about. And in 30 minutes or less, I try to, we try to together come up with a solution to their challenge. And so all that to say that I've been working in the field for about four or five years, but the coaching is relatively new. I, I got certified last year at Concordia University in just a regular personal and professional coaching program. But my niche has always been love, intimacy, and sexuality. And so now I have just more competencies around what, what does it really take for someone to make a change in their life? And when I coach people, I don't tell them what I think they should do. It's, it's actually quite different than free love advice. Free love advice is like, I think you should do this, right? And it's kind of crude and it's, I go from the gut. But in coaching, you really have to understand what are what is this person's patterns? What are their blocks? What have they tried? What's preventing them from actually reaching the kind of goal that they want to reach, right? And for a lot of my clients, it's the kind of love life that they can be proud of. So you do need some competencies around how people change and not just, this is what I think you should do because it's worked for me. What has worked for me will not necessarily work for you or for somebody else. And so we really have to figure out what is going to work for that person. And also it's really about unearthing and uncovering that my clients, that person's internal wisdom, because I do believe that we all really ultimately deep down know how we should move forward. But there's a lot of conditioning and shame and distraction and procrastination and layers of blocks that prevent us from really kind of accessing that deep well that we all have. I really truly believe that. Sure. Yeah. And another way of framing that, that I, I usually rest on is, you know, the will of my conscious and the will of my subconscious are either in at peace or at odds with each other. Mm. And, uh, I, I'm curious, like where, where this, this drive to, uh, to a empathize with other people and b help other people like where, where did is there an origin to that? I just before this, I was, you know, you said, Oh, I got to go to the bathroom. And I was going to say, it's cool. I'm reading about astrology. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I was looking at my short report for like, you know, my, my stars. And uh, I've just always had this ability to communicate. That's I went to school for communication. I've, I was in sales for, I don't know, five, seven, seven years, I started a hostel. So I've always been in service of others through speech. That's just, that's just who I am. You know, some people are like energy healers. That's how they work. They work with energy. And for me, I just work with words. And I, I think it's so beautiful that we have access to this tool, right? This tool of expression. And as humans, we need to master this tool. We really do so that we can connect with each other because it's the most common way that people can connect is through language. And of course you can com connect non-verbally through physical touch and through eye contact and 
and breath work and all this other stuff. But what's more, what's most socially acceptable is language. And so I've had this propensity to talk and to, um, uh, distill complex concepts into ways that is approachable and accessible for lots of people. And what other subject but love is as complex, complicated, misunderstood? I mean, there, there, isn't, there isn't one. I don't know of one that, yeah. that applies to so many people, a.k.a. everybody, and that is so misunderstood. And I'm not sure why I have the passion. It's like, you know, it's like asking an engineer, like, why are you, why do you love to figure out how these things work? And, and how come you're so good at this? Some people figure it out and some people don't. And I sort of figured it out that, that this is where I want to be. And this is one of my strengths. And the joke is sort of like, you know, it's also the best thing I got going for me. So I'm just going to throw everything <laughs> into it. Sure. Um, but I like it. I like it. And I think that it's a, it's a subject that is so vast, right? Just love, right? We look at love and, and we can talk about familial love, platonic love, romantic love, intimate love, sexual love. So the umbrella is massive and what's underneath it is it's a root system that has no end. Sure. No end. And for someone like me, I am a thrill seeker. I am constantly looking for something new. I am just, I'm an enthusiast. I, I really like different stuff. And so this subject matter allows me to explore all sorts of different stuff. And it's also not a field in which there are a lot of men, right? except for the fact that most books on love are written by men. Men are seen as authorities when it comes to love, which is kind of strange because it also seems like men are the one who struggle the most with love. Um, there aren't a lot of men talking about this stuff, generally speaking. And most of my audience is women, right? Because men also have a hard time connecting with it. Yeah, that was going to be another question is like between women, men, and, and non-binary folk. Like, how, what's your... How many men are you working with here? None. Zero. Oh, that's not true. There's one in one of my groups. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't expecting it and, and I didn't plan for it. And, and I am working on how can I connect more with men and all of the accounts that I know, right? People on Instagram that are creating content of a loving nature, even if it's designed for men, right? Most of their audience is women. You know, that's just, of the, of the men that I know that are creating content for men, the the audience is women. Probably because they, they want to understand men. And when you're building a business, it's, you, you can, yeah, you can go after a demographic, but you can also say, uh, uh, you know, actually, let's look at who's connecting with this stuff. And then how can I help them rather than how can I aggressively market to people that I think can benefit from my message? One of them is a lot easier than the other. Wow, I'm still like, <clears throat> I'm still kind of beside myself that there's really no 
there's really no men involved, like barely in this work. Uh, it's unfortunate because um, when you are an emotionally available man, you can connect with women. And and I'm a straight man. I've I've played with guys before. I've I've like been to play parties. I've had threesomes with other guys. I've like tried that. It's just not for me. I'm a I'm a heterosexual guy. I'm a heterosexual yeah. cisgendered white man. That is, I mean, I'm, I guess my parents, my grandparents are Egyptians. I don't know what that makes me, but you know, I'm a, basically afforded all of the privilege that's that is available as a yeah. person. So I recognize that. And I thought that I'd be working with men. I really did. The reality is that as a straight white man who is emotionally available, my ability to connect with women is greater than others. And, and so I, I guess I was thinking, guys, if you become more emotionally available and aware and intimate with yourself, you can connect with women more. You can get more connection, more love and more depth. And the women recognize that. They reckon that they'd be like, oh, it'd be so great if he could be more emotionally available to us so that we could connect deeper. And I've been doing work around the masculine and the feminine and how the masculine's job is really to be solid and to anchor the feminine. So for the feminine to really like be wild and, and to express her full feminine fire. And now we're getting into more esoteric Tantra stuff, but... I, I wish more men knew this kind of stuff because it really does help you connect with women more. That at the end of the day, it really does. Yeah. Yeah. I, to me, I'm, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm listening and I'm agreeing and I'm, and I'm empathizing with what you're saying. And I, there are moments where I kind of stop and I think to myself because of where I'm at emotionally, I'm a part, I'm partnered we have a daughter. Um, I've I have a history of like really not being in many relationships. I too am you know a hetero cisgendered white male, though in a similar. Um, There's an interesting similarity where like I'm I'm Israeli by birth, but I also have a lot of Russian ancestry. But I also have more like you know Moroccan and Yemeni. Uh, ancestry as well, but I'm like a, a seemingly a, a white presenting person, and um, and I ask myself because of my emotional availability, and because I seek connection with other people due to the <laughs> due to the lack of connection, like with my my very parents, maybe the, maybe the most perhaps the most important people in my life. Uh, at least by some measure, um, am I an anomaly? Are we anomalies? Is it worth framing in that in, in that term? Are we anomalies in the sense that we are men who want to connect on an emotional level with people? Yeah. I, I don't think that we're an anomaly because I think that we were humans are meant for connection. Yeah. I think that society hasn't valued it and they haven't modeled it. So we don't actually know what it looks like, but somehow you and I have been able to into it, into it, into it. Yeah. We've been able to intuitively feel into what it means to be emotionally available. And we figured out the importance of it. 
And we've probably been with women who have celebrated that, right? I'm currently with a woman who celebrates my vulnerability and my emotional intimacy and availability, right? Who tells me on a daily basis how blown away she is that we can have the kinds of conversations that we have and the closeness that we feel she's never felt with anybody. And so that empowers me and makes me want to do it more. It's like training positive reinforcement for a dog, right? You train them a trick, you give them the food. She feeds me with praise and men react very well to praise, right? And so if you tell me, I love it when you do that, it makes me feel closer to you. I'm going to do it more. Right. We yeah. Just, I, I, yeah. I could say the same thing about, about my partnership as well. It's, um, sorry, I felt like I interrupted. Nope. Um, I, I've been trying to connect with other men through the vehicle of tea. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't that, been, by the way. Yeah, I haven't been try, I haven't been doing it with maybe like intense vigor or passion because I really just want to connect with humans over tea, and I do that um, as a as a service you know, for hire, whether it's for team building type experiences, just pure, just tea for tea sake, you know, try these teas that you haven't tried before, try it within this container of this type of a tea culture, so on and so forth. Um, and then since I've been, I've been doing this for 10 years, um, it's just something that I'm passionate about. It's, it's, the way that I connect with other people, like I, I really find that that tea is the quintessential social lubricant and it's how I've forged my deepest uh, relationships with, mm. with people, whether it's my partner or like a mentor of mine or friends, you know, that I've, I've met and <clears throat> cherished along the, along this path. Mm. Um, and for the line, for the last nine or 10 years, I feel like I've been trying to forge like a men's tea circle. Yeah. Wow. And there have been moments when it gelled. You know, the last time I uh, assembled a group of men together, it just so happened to be like two weeks after uh, Me Too broke out. Mm. And so, and I had, I had scheduled that afternoon like a, you know two weeks before that so even like a month before before uh you know that happened that sort of cultural moment happened i already wanted to I, it's been a while i feel like we should just gather and then you know just before that me too breaks out and so uh, a group of guys like a very diverse group of guys got together and it was beautiful and it's like always trying to, st I've been trying to find that momentum and that, that reason, that sort of bonding agent, the glue to like, to uh, give us permission to keep gathering, you know, whether it's at that location or another location, if you can't show up, that's okay. Like we'll do it again, maybe like creating consistency or something like that. Um, I, to me, it's, it's been this like nearly impossible feat to get a group of guys together. And yet something recently has happened uh, to me um, that real has like made things a bit existential for me, 
which was that um, I've been running a tea series at this beautiful shop uh, here in downtown uh, LA in the arts district. Um, so basically doing like afternoon tea sessions, like 60 minute tea sessions for, you know, groups of you know, up to six people to join um, for a small tea flight. And I, last week I did um, a session and only one guest showed up. Um, uh, a woman showed up and who's a friend through Instagram who's really lovely, who's also a tarot reader. And she, by the end of the session, she says, I have to tell you this. Um, you are the first man who's poured me tea. I've only mm -hmm. ever been around women drinking, pouring tea, sort of celebrating that particular uh, tea culture, which is, you know, Chinese, Taiwanese style. And that really... I was really at a loss for words at that moment. I was like, I'm like, where are the guys? Where are the guys? I have no idea. I, you know, that being said, like I have a few really old friends now, uh, guys who I sit and we drink tea, you know, so, you know, at times and who are very dear to me. And again, like I think of the two or three of them and I'm like, are we anomalies? <laughs> What's actually going on? Um, yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah. A couple of things that come to mind. Uh, you would not have been the first person, the first man to serve me tea. I've I've been to many places where men serve tea. Yes. Uh, probably because of the community that I run in, we value tea as a way yeah. as a way to connect. So you're an anomaly, but you're not that weird. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and uh, and number two, you've you've actually just inspired me right now to offer um, a men's group coaching program for men only. In, in, in 2020. <laughs> Don't know if anybody will sign up. I mean, I have one now, so uh, the, there is a market there and I think it'd be really powerful um, to to do that work. And I, I would like to do that with men. And I have been called lately to do some sort of a men's circle, but you know, the thing is with men's circles, the people that go to men's circles are people that are already used to going to men's circles. Right? And, and, that's fine. It's still beneficial, but I would really like to, maybe it has to be a square, not a circle. I'd really like to get access to folks that have never really done that work before so that it's edgy, but that we create a really safe container and even just using the word container. Now, some guys are probably like, what does that mean? Uh, create a safe space for, for guys to get together and talk about stuff that's happening for them. What's really happening? You know, how, how lonely are you? Because I'm I'm finding that that uh, a lot of a lot of men are lonely. Yeah, they're lonely in their connection with other men because men aren't talking about what's really happening. They're keeping it surface level because they don't have models to show them. Oh, it's actually okay to talk about your feelings and to be vulnerable with other guys. It doesn't mean that you're less than. It actually it's a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. And. Um, and also, we never talked about what kind of tea I'm drinking and what kind of tea yes, you're, you're drinking. That's true. I'm wondering if this is an appropriate time for that. Oh, absolutely. You want to go first? Okay. I'm drinking uh, a 2017 ripe puer called Waffles by uh, my friend uh, Paul and his tea company, White 2 Tea, who's actually um, a tea sponsor of my podcast. Oh, great. 
What a nice plug. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm drinking it in in this in a in a gong fu style, uh, which is just means that I'm using traditional uh teaware uh and the methodology of of brewing uh like quick recursive steeps um because puer i don't know if you're familiar with it it's a it is an aged and fermented tea from southwest china and drinking it in that style is highly apropos and is other than saying it's fucking phenomenal, it really is, you know, I could just sort of stop right there. <laughs> mm. Sounds delicious. Yeah. I am drinking a blend uh-huh. of holy basil uh-huh. right, or Tulsi. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's from Harmonic Arts out of British Columbia. Mm-hmm. And I think that if I'm not mistaken, the plant is from India. Organic. Mm-hmm. And then the other is um, here in in Quebec. It's called Tea du Labrador, mm-hmm. uh, and in English would be Bog Labrador Labrador Tea, which is actually rhododendron. I guess that's the. I just looked it up. So I'm drinking rhododendron, uh, the flowers and the evergreen leaves. Wow! And it's incredibly floral, and it's a really nice blend. I mean, the the holy basil is an adaptogen and. Mm-hmm. I'm not actually sure what the Labrador or the rhododendron, um, the properties, the medicinal properties of it, but it was also handpicked by my lover's sister in um, outside of Kamouaska, which is like four hours northeast of Montreal on the banks of the St. Lawrence. Wow. It seems... <laughs> I mean, when I hear about Montreal, because having never been to Montreal, and I've really only experienced a sliver of the Northeast, you know, just within the the bounds of the U.S. of A. Um, it just, yeah, it, I mean, it really just sounds like such a. It sounds so far away, in 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 a in a romantic sort of longing, like I'd love, would love to experience it, kind of sense. Mm. Um, it's so not, you know, the uh, desert basin by the sea over here. It's not the United States at all. No. And I was born here, but then I lived in California for 22 years and I moved yeah. back three years ago. Yeah. And it took a while. You know, I lived in San Francisco for 12 or 13 years. And at, yeah. at that point when I left about three-ish years ago, I wasn't really taking advantage of this what the city had to offer. And I also wasn't, working in tech. Yeah. So it's really hard to be in a city where everybody is either working in tech or tech adjacent. Yeah. And I was, you know, sort of a sex worker, taxi driver, sex ed guy. And it just, mm-hmm. you know, I, my people were moving away. And, and so I made a big move and I moved to Mon- I moved back to Montreal because I wanted it to be affordable and I wanted to be diverse mm-hmm. culturally and, and, um, professionally. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's it. I, I wanted it to be affordable and diverse. And so I have found that here. I found the, the affordability and the diversity. And it also took, you know, a couple of years to, to build a community. Yeah. And those first couple of years were extremely lonely, extremely lonely. 
And yeah. now I'm just, I'm like over the hump and life feels full and loving and, and connected in a way that feels really great. And, uh, and I get to visit California. I'll be there next week. I'll be in Joshua tree for the week. Nice. Yep. So, well, if you pass through LA, like stop by for tea. I will not be, but I appreciate okay. it. But <laughs> <laughs> here's another, here, here's another thing that, that you now know about me. Yes. No is my default. Great. Because I'm intensely protective of the finite amount of energy, time, and resources that I have. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think people say yes when they really mean, when they really mean no. Do you, um, do you know the, the difference between how someone from California says no and how somebody from New York says no? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. No, they'll just say yeah. yeah. They'll say yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. And then they'll and then they'll cancel on you. Yeah. And someone from New York will say, "Go fuck yourself." Yeah. Or they'll just they'll say no. And people in Montreal will just say no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's wonderful. <laughs> Amazing. Um, how are we on time? Uh, we've been recording for 65 minutes. Okay. How are you on time? Uh, I would say that I'm feeling like this is a, a nice outro. Outro. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Wonderful. Unless you have like, you know, your closing questions, of course. Mm. I, I'm not, I don't have a hard stop. Yeah. No, this feels good. And I, I, you know, I've paid it pretty much at the end of every conversation. I'm always like, I'm excited to, you know, like weave in another conversation, like in the near future about another smattering of subjects or other things I'm musing on. Um, and, uh, I want to join, I want to, I want to be in that men's group. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> just to just to finish it, <laughs> I want to do what I can to be in that. I will. I would be honored to have you in the men's group. And Great. and now, if I know that there's at least one person that's interested in it, yeah. Uh, and then it's then I could say, hey, there's one person plus me. That's two. We only need yeah. you know we need five more. Let's make it happen. Let's do five. Okay. And also, you know, my audience is women, and those women know a lot of men. Yes. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on those lovebirds to to promote that program and to invite the men in their lives to consider whether it's a good fit for them. Yes. <clears throat> I think together we'll have a great, we'll have a great group. Look forward to it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Sean. I had a really great time. This is, um, I love your format and I, and I really had a, I really enjoyed myself. I, I find connecting with you to be really beautiful. So thank you for the opportunity. Ditto, ditto, and thank you so much. Mm, you're welcome. My pleasure. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I know I did. Be sure to check out Sean and his work at www.thelovedrive.com as well as on his podcast, The Love Drive, which you can find streaming just about anywhere, and on Instagram at The Love Drive as well. And... Um, since you heard it in the conversation, I look forward to joining his online men's group as it's something that I've been 
thinking about and trying to do and sustain here in L.A. for the better part of the last decade. Well, let's, I'll be honest, on and off for the last decade. So that was episode number 20, and I really hope that by the year's end, maybe just on the other side of uh, the holidays, I will get one more conversation out. Uh, if not, I really want to thank you for listening. Um, even those who are listening for the first time, really hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to subscribe to the show. Uh, if you're feeling it, if you're feeling inspired to leave some feedback, be sure to leave some in iTunes. Uh, it helps the algorithm with search results. And I want to give a shout out to my Patreon supporters, all four of you, uh, because without your help, this show uh, would not have an easy time staying live and listenable. So if you'd like to learn more about supporting the show directly for as little as a dollar a month, be sure to check out patreon.com forward slash wabi sabi podcast. Thanks again. <laughs>